on Easter. Uh, all kinds of options out there these days, and so you being here with us, we're, we're grateful and hopefully enjoy. Make sure and eat all that stuff up that's back there in the back and drink all the coffee and uh, just enjoy your time with us. Thank you for being here. Um, I know there are a lot of reasons why people uh, could be here this morning, you know, to make mom happy, your wife happy, or, uh, or you're like, I know they're going to have something from the Smucker's Donut trailer, so we're going to go, uh, some kind of sweets, some iced coffee, uh, or maybe you came to celebrate our great God who defeated death and is alive and well, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, But regardless of the reason, I believe that it's not a coincidence that you're here. And I'm glad that you're here. Our folks here from, from the church are glad you're here if you're visiting with us. So I don't think it's chance happening. I think God orchestrates things in a way to put you in certain places at certain times. And um, you're here this morning. So whether you came looking for something, the, the truth is that at some point in our life, all of us are looking and searching for something to satisfy us. So that could be a reason. Many people come to church looking to fill emptiness or pain or sorrow, to find purpose, to figure life out the best they can. They're hurting, looking for some relief. Uh, you know, a theme we've had over the past year has been, or actually two, a couple years, has been the overwhelming sorrow overcoming Savior, and you'll hear a little bit of that today. But um, even with all that stuff in our lives and in this cursed world, there is an overcoming Savior. So... Some of you are here, like myself, have found what you're looking for in Jesus Christ, and I hope the rest of you do as well if you've not found that. He's the only one that can provide fully satisfying, really just joy-filled, overcoming eternal life. He's the only one that can do that. Jesus defeated death and came back to life. Defeated it. Okay? And has overcome the cursed world we now live in that has all kinds of problems. You might notice that this world we live in has all kinds of issues and problems. And so in doing what Jesus did, he gave us the same opportunity that, that he had in defeating death, going from death to life. And I'm going to be uh, in the book of John today, chapter 11. And we're going to talk about a man who experienced... Uh, resurrection, physical resurrection from the dead by the power of Jesus and gives us a great example of what Jesus can do for you. And there's a lot of lessons in this. It's the story of Lazarus, uh, if some of you know that story, if you were raised around church. And so you have the chance to really live since Jesus Christ died in your place. This morning's really simple. I mean, because we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and so most of what I'm going to say, everybody's going to go, yeah, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that. You've been around church a long time, yeah, I know that, heard that before, as though we've mastered it because we've heard it, right? But the thing is, I dare you to take hold of the life that God made you for and, and be raised up for God's glory since Jesus Christ dared to be raised up and put on a cross in your place. I dare you to follow Jesus Christ in resurrected life because Jesus Christ himself promised you resurrected life if you follow him. So that's the challenge this morning. 
challenge you to rid your life of apathy and complacency and just mediocrity doing what everybody else does and you get what everybody else gets which isn't really great, right? Since Jesus dared to give his best for you and was the very best sacrifice from God for you. So today we're going to look at a story and sort of a statement, I guess, that uh, the main character of this story said. It's a crazy story about a guy named uh, Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. And Jesus is the main character of the story, not Lazarus, Okay, so that we're clear. Because some people go, it's the story of Lazarus, it's about Lazarus. No, it's really about Jesus. Like every story in the Bible is really about Jesus, but often we make it about even ourselves sometimes, right? Like we turn David and Goliath into a story about ourselves. I've got to defeat my giants. No, it's about Jesus defeating the giants for you and defeating sin. And so, anyway, we'll get into all that. We often make it about things it's not, but it's always about Jesus. And so we're going to look at this story where Jesus raises this man from the dead, and then Jesus makes this statement that is just so outrageous, so crazy, but we have to consider, is the statement true? Because if it's true, then that changes everything. I mean, that, it, it totally just rocks the world, changes. I mean, we're going to talk about a couple people later, just, just searching philosophers, great minds, people thinking about things of their life and pondering those things, and you just go, if this statement is true, it changes all this stuff that people are looking for and what life's really all, all about. So you have to say, is Jesus crazy, or is it true? And if it's true, it changes everything for all of us. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there who have said a lot of outrageous, crazy things, right? And I was even looking some of that up yesterday, and the first outrageous, crazy thing, this um, picture pops up on the screen, and it was like from back in the 40s or something, I don't know, like forever ago, right? The 50s, like back when my dad was born. And so... Um, it's, that's why my parents, nobody loves coming here that's related to me. Um, but it's, it was for Lucky Strike cigarettes. It's toasted. It was like their thing. I was like, what, what does that mean? Like, you're going to toast it yourself. I mean, I don't get it. But it, it, but it was this thing of, it said, um, it had this picture of a doctor, like, smoking the cigarette. And it was talking about how it was much better for your throat and helped to prevent coughing. Right? That must be what Travis is smoking. <laughs> right? Sorry, but I had to do that to you. Um, anyway, it's like, but we notice that raised, it's like even these videos, or commercials, or videos, this is way back when, those commercials that like cigarettes would put out, there's one that was like, they would have doctors going house call to house call, and in between it, Sean's smoking camel cigarettes. That's the choice of doctors. You know, it's like, what? Like, we all know that's crazy now, right? And this isn't like an anti-smoking sermon. I, I know it sounds like that, but it's not one of those legalistic things, okay? Um, but it's just they, outrageous things people would say, right? A lot of stuff, like Muhammad Ali, if you remember him, what, what he always, you know, I mean, he said nobody could whip him, right? Nobody, right? And... I won't do any kind of imitation of Muhammad Ali. That would be really ugly. But he, he, but he was not unbeatable, right? He got whooped. He was a really great boxer, but he acted like nobody could. Then there's the former leader of North Korea. You ever read some of the stuff he said? Back, he died in 2011 before the current guy took over. 
Kim Jong Il, if that tells you anything, right? Um, he claimed that he invented the hamburger. Do you know that? It's got lived, you know, in the last 50 years, you know, just or whatever. He invented the hamburger. And he also claimed that he could beat Tiger Woods at golf. Um, I don't think he could this past week, right? And then in 2012, North Korea made a statement that they had discovered a unicorn layer. Some of you are like, yeah, I love unicorns. Yeah, that's great. I want to go see them. They don't exist, okay? It's like saying, we discovered where all the fairies come from, right? Okay, it, it's great. Just make outrageous statements, right? But Jesus himself, he made all kinds of outrageous statements and claims. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the light of the world. He claimed to be the Good Shepherd. All these things he would say. But the most amazing statement he ever made, the most amazing claim, which all of our Christianity, all of what we believe, all of why we are here, hinges on is Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Never means never. I'm a Greek scholar. Did you see that? Right? That's what he promised. That's what he promised. And if there's anything in you that, that remotely gets, if that's true, this changes things for me. If, if I remotely believe that, it should radically change my life. What I think about Jesus, what I'm following, what I'm pursuing, what I'm doing with my life. And you've got to know that Jesus didn't just make amazing statements and outrageous claims. He lived what he preached. Okay? See, like in this story, eyewitnesses tell us that Jesus himself actually rose from the grave, rose from the dead. That's why we do what we do here at this church. And that has enormous implications because if Jesus rose from the dead, that means he's still alive. That's really awesome. Okay, if Jesus really defeated death and rose from, if he really was dead and came back to life, I'm following that guy. Okay, out of everybody that's done anything in the world, okay, as much as I like Steph Curry, okay, I'm not following him. He didn't come back from the grave. Okay, he doesn't have the power over death. Okay, even though I may think they're great, I'm, you know, there's good role models in the world. You know, even Paul would say, "Follow me," because I'm following Jesus. But ultimately, it's about Jesus, right? If Jesus is the one that could do that then as cool as anybody can be, I'm following that guy. Because all this will go away one day, and all you got whatever is after this life, which is forever, and I want to get that part right. Okay? If Jesus is still alive, that means he's very powerful. Okay? And if Jesus rose from the dead, is still alive, and is that powerful, that means he can make good on all the promises he has made for, to you through his word. Because he's talking about you when he says, Whoever believes in me will never die. He's made promises to you about everlasting life. Some years ago, a Canadian scientist named G.B. Hardy said, I only have two questions to ask in life, only two very important questions. Number one, has anyone ever defeated death? And number two, if they had, if they have, did they wake, make a way for me to defeat death too? That's his two questions. The scientist, okay? But I answered the question, yes and yes. 
And he discovered that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, like he investigated as a scientist, and that scientist, G.B. Hardy, placed his faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So let's look at John chapter 11, starting in verse 1 through 5 this morning. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death. If you know the story, you're going, Well, it kind of did, though. No, it didn't. Okay? It didn't end that way. But for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So in this story, a good friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus, he gets sick, he dies. Okay, Now, they were close friends. Jesus, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. Lazarus. They, they would, the Bible tells us they would, he, Jesus would go and spend a lot of time in Bethany at their home. He would hang out with them. That was kind of his... Since the Son of Man has no word to lay his head, I guess that was his place he would go if he was going to spend any time in a home. He would go there a lot and uh, stay with them. And they knew something was real about Jesus being the Messiah sent from God. They, they knew he had spent so much time with them. They just knew there's something true about what he's saying. And so they turned to him in their desperate moment. Okay? If, if, if you were here for our... Uh, prayer meeting this last time, um, a pastor named Ben, he talked about, you know, we have not because we ask not. We don't, we don't have because we don't ask God. And so there's something that came out in this for me as I was reading this that perhaps just sending Jesus word about what had happened wasn't enough. Because you notice they don't ask for anything in this. They just say, hey, the one you love is sick, as though he doesn't know that already, Right? A lot of times we like to inform God, but God's saying, hey, it's about a relationship. I want you to talk to me. I want you to ask like a child would with a father. It's about relationship, right? But at least they knew where to turn for help, right? They knew that Jesus could open the eyes of the blind, unstop the ears of the, of the deaf, and even raise people from the dead. They knew that. Sadly, many people turn to other things when there's a crisis in our lives. We all have that tendency, right? They turn to a, a bottle, they turn to a pill, they turn to a professional person for help, right? They turn to their friends, which is not necessarily a bad thing to do. Friends can help out if they will and they know. But there's only so much a friend can do for you when things get so bad, right? And not just when things are bad. The whole world is looking for life. And most are looking for it in all the wrong places, right? I was about to sing the song, but sorry, the, the buckwheat version came out of me. Looking for nub in all the wrong places. Sorry. Looking for nub. Uh, anyway, I'm an 80s child. Forgive me, okay? Um, but it's, it, everybody's looking for something to satisfy themselves. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Notice... Here it says, they, they say to Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. They, they appeal to, to Jesus on the basis of his love for them, right? Not their love for him. Isn't that interesting? 
They didn't write a note and say, look, Jesus, we've had you over to dinner and, and took care of you, you slept in our beds, we cleaned up after you, right? You know, we've really kind of, it's put us out at times, and it's cost us things, and, and you know, and it's because we care about you, but, you know, the fact is, you kind of owe us, right? I mean, notice they didn't do that. They didn't write a note and say that. We've served you, and we've loved you, and so you owe us, right? But don't we approach God like that sometimes? Look, God, I've, I've done a lot for you. I went and cleaned the church during the week. I, I Man, I watched other people's kids who weren't my kids during church, right? And there's just one or these two, or you know, we get in our mind that, man, I've really gone the extra mile, so therefore, God, you hate God. You know, I had a, a five left over when I was there, and I put it in the plate, so you kind of owe me, right? Don't we do that? You, God, I, I, all this stuff I do for you, and then I get this? Like, you're not taking care of this for me because I, I've done all this for you, so you owe me? Does anybody else here ever get in that mode, or is it just me, right? We get frustrated, and we're like, the rest of y'all are lying. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's like we get in that mode sometimes. Like, why would, or, or at least you get in that place of, hey, God is good, and he loves me. If he was, he'd fix this, right? We're going to see in a minute where all this goes is if the most loving thing God can do for us sometimes is, is do it his way, not our way, is to have us go through something so we can know him more and see him more deeply than we would have ever known him had we not gone through that. Okay? And that's the most loving thing he can do for us. I'm so far, I've already just gave away everything, okay? Anyway. The, the, so anyway, they didn't write a note and, and say that to him, you owe me. But they knew that even though Jesus was busy and had crowds to preach to and disciples to train, that Jesus was never too busy to deal with an individual. He loves people. Jesus gave many great sermons, but a lot of the greatest things he said that we get to read and we get to learn from, were said to individual people. As you read through the Bible, as you see Nicodemus, the this, this Samaritan woman, Pontius Pilate, the, the conversations he had, just words for one individual, yet they speak to us so much today. He cared about the individual. And I want you to know that Jesus sees you this morning, right where you're at, all the stuff going on in your life, knows exactly what you're going through. He sees you like you're the only one here this morning. He knows who you are. He knows your name. He cares about you. He's concerned for you. And what you need, He knows about. He knows, and He wants to meet that need. Just maybe not in the way you want it met, but maybe in a better way in the long run. We want escape from temporary discomfort instead of knowing God deeply and having the character of Christ and becoming this better person. We just want temporary dis discomfort to go away. It's no worth talking about in verse 5 and 6. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But notice the, the next verse. It says, So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days lo longer in the place where he was. 
Like that, that does, you, and you just go, well, wait a minute. That's not what that should say. Like that makes no, that's totally backwards from our logic, isn't it? Because we put those expectations on people. If I let you know something's going on in my life, I'm sick, you better be here just like that. Like, better not be two days waiting. I better get a phone call. I better get a text. I better get a visit. Something better happen now or you don't care about me. Right? That's our logic, right? It should, it should say something like, Jesus loved them so much that he immediately got up from where he was and went to their side to fix the problem. It doesn't say that. It says Jesus loved them so he stayed where he was two more days. Right? There, there, there's something else worth noting here and understanding this. When these two sisters sent Jesus a note and said, the one whom you love is sick, and they use a particular Greek word, okay? Here, phileo, it's where we get the word brotherly love, where we get the name Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? It's that word. So Philadelphia comes from that word, the city of Jesus, he says, it uses that word for love. It uses this, this word for, as if they're saying to, hey, Jesus, your buddy is sick. Your friend, the one you love like a brother is sick. Okay, but in verse 5 it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But there's a different word for love used there. A much stronger word. It's, it's, John uses a stronger Greek word here for love that is this word agape, Right? So here's these two sisters saying, hey, your buddy, your friend, the one you love like a brother is sick. But it, but it says, well, Jesus loved them with complete, unending, ongoing, unconditional love so much that he stayed there two more days. Isn't that crazy? It, it, and give, give them all away, but it's just it's if to say, Jesus loved them so much, he was willing to do anything, go through, a, through anything, because he gets upset about this too. It's not just they get upset, and they're hurt by it. Okay, He says, I'm willing for us both to go through it together to get to this ultimate place of us knowing each other more and more deeply, and something in you coming out, a joy that you will not have if you don't go through it. I'm willing to do that with you. He could, you know, for him, what that is, is Jesus could say, you know what, I don't want to go to the tomb where Lazarus is dead and weep and be, it talks about him being deeply disturbed. He, he gets upset. He could say, you know what, I don't want to go through that either. So I just heal him. I'll just say it from where I'm at. He's healed. Now we don't, none of us have to go through that. He says, no, I, I love him unconditionally. I'm willing to go through it with you to get to this place that you will be so thankful for once we get there. If you'll just believe in me and trust me. That's what he says. Okay? If any of you have ever experienced delays in God with your prayers, okay, I want you to listen. God's delays are always delays of love. That's what it is. Okay? And God's delays are not always necessarily God's denials. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not what is needed or should be done. But sometimes just Him delaying does not mean denial. God might just say to you, not yet. Not today. Not tomorrow. But it's coming. He's not saying no. He's just saying not right now. God's delays are delays of love. You know, we don't, 
always see the big picture, right? Like these two sisters, they don't see the big picture. They want healing, right? They wanted healing right then. What did Jesus want? Jesus is going, I got something better to show you, something better than I can heal. I want to show you that I can bring you back from the dead. I want to show you resurrection. Right? I mean, which is better? I would love to know and see it for myself with my own eyes. Jesus can really do that. That has forever implications for me, not just healing right now, not just I might not physically die today, but I know that even if I do die, there's resurrection for real. Like that's better to see than a healing, right? God sees the big picture. There's all this other stuff in the book of John, like the whole book, like we talk about, like in Corinthians, is the passage on this, the, the book on love, and it's because it's got all this stuff about love in it. But to me, I'll tell you the, the most profound book on love, or letter on love, however you want to describe in the Bible, is the book of John to me. Okay, it's got a lot of stuff in it, but, but when you talk about love, I, I mean, it, it, it is it, right? It starts with all that stuff of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then it gets down to 14, talks about how and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, talking about how it's talking about Jesus. Jesus was from the beginning. He created all things. That's why you've got to watch with Jehovah Witnesses. They try to make it sound like Jesus isn't God, but the Bible clearly says that. So they have to change their Bible. To, to, and they change that particular chap, chapter, the first chapter of John in particular, because it talks about that. Okay, that He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him, right? By him, for him, all that stuff. Jesus and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. Okay, it's 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 amazing, and it, and it says in there, it goes on down where where all that's building to. This the whole book explains this that the most loving thing God can do, the reason He became the became the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, is so that we could see God, know Him. It's just so that we could see the manifest glory of God in Jesus Christ because He loved us so much. That's what. It, that's the whole thing. He loves you so much, He wants you to see and know Jesus. Ultimately knowing Him. Okay? That's the most loving thing He could ever do. If Jesus has this kind of power, if He can do these kind of things, if He, can, if he is that amazing, then the most loving thing He can do is manifest that to you, disclose that to you, reveal that to you, show that to you, is that you experience that. And that's what that book is about, is that, that that would happen. Even in that book when it talks about John the Baptist, John the Baptist, even, it was a thing of, hey, I'm, I'm, pre I'm preparing a way for you. Do you know, you know why I'm doing this? I was told that I was to do this so I could make, I could make manifest to the people of Israel, to the people that day, so I could show Jesus to the people. He literally says that. This is why I'm down at this river baptizing people, looking like an idiot, is so that I can show Jesus to people. So they'll see him. So they'll see how great he is. It's about seeing God through Jesus and seeing God's glory. Actually, God loving us so much that we get to see him. Right? That's what it's all about. And, and so... There's this progression in the book of John. That's why the story of Lazarus, I think it's why John, John put it in there. When you're talking about 
um, this story that magnifies all this he's, that he's saying. Because you, there's another verse you get over to, I think it's 1421. Uh, throw that up there on the screen. And go. John 14.21 should be at the very end of all that stuff. Anyway, what it says is, is it says, it talks about how um, those who, the ones who love me are the ones who obey my commands, right? And it says, so if, if you love me and you obey my commands, then the Father will love you. And then what? Make himself manifest or disclose himself, in ASB says, manifest, disclose himself to you. Why is it tagged that on there? I mean, that's the whole thing. Uh, it, it, it's, that's the whole thing. Is That sums up this book. Is We believe in Jesus. We follow him. And, it, and because we love him so much, more so what he did for us, that he loves us so much, so the Father loves us. And what's the ultimate end goal of that? is that we get to see and experience Jesus. That's the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing better than that. What's so great about heaven? You've heard me say this so many times if you've been here, right? What's the great thing about heaven? Streets of gold. Who cares? Okay? It's like the story of the guy was like, uh, hey God, one day when I die, could you allow an exception? I'd like to take some of my wealth to heaven with me. This is a joke story, right? And so... God's like, okay, I'll have this one exception. You can bring just one wheelbarrow of stuff with you. So he's like, okay, so he dies one day, he gets the pearly gates, right? And there's Pete. St. Peter's going to be at the pearly gates. That's biblical, right? Anyway, um, so no. so he um, wheels up. He's got this big wheelbarrow full of gold bricks, right? And St. Peter's like, no, you can't bring that in here, right? And the guy's like, well, wait a minute. Me and God worked out a deal. He said, I could bring, I could bring these in with me. And so he goes and checks and comes back, and he's like, okay, I guess you can. Maybe you, he said you could. So he goes on by, and so St. Peter like leans over to one of the angels like, I don't know why God did that, and what's even crazier is why would this guy want to bring paving stones to heaven? Right? Because it's not worth anything there. Like, it has no value. Right? Pearly gates and... Walls of Jasper, all that stuff. Like we're going, wow, that's going to be amazing. You're not going to care. Like Jesus is going to be there. You're going to be like, yeah, 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 whatever. Right? There's Jesus. Like I face to face, not just through the Spirit, but face to face, right? Not through a, a cloudy glass, but, you know, I get to see Him face to face, clearly. Like that's the deal about heaven, Okay? You're, you're not going to care. You're not going to be like, dang, what do you mean like we don't get to go fishing? Right? At least not deep sea fishing, right? So be no more sea, that's what Revelation says. Some of you are like, what? Right? There'll be no more hunting and all that stuff. You know, it's like you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I don't get to play golf? You know, you know you're not going to care, right? I'm not saying you aren't going to get to play golf. You may, maybe, I don't know. Like, the Bible doesn't go about, you know, thou shalt be golf in heaven. Like, I don't know. Or thou shalt not be. I don't know. Okay? It's not the big deal. I'm so far off track. But it's not the big deal. Okay? But the, the deal of all this is that we would know God deeply, and that can't happen 
if we don't know what the other side is of not knowing him and knowing pain. Okay? It's how the Bible works. It's how he works all through the Bible. It's how it works. It's how Jesus works. It's, it's the best way for us to know him. It, it talks about in John from glory to glory. Okay? From grace to grace is the way it says it. There's other places it talks about from glory to glory. It's, it's step to step. We've got to go through these things to get there. And it's an ever-increasing deal. The more we know Him, we keep going, I'm so glad I know Him. I'm so glad I know Him. I'm so glad I'm in that place of knowing Him. Okay? So let's go to verse 17 because I'm so far off track. But by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, not only has Lazarus been sick, but by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Okay? So go to verse 17. Okay? So when Jesus came, He found that He had already been in the tomb Four days. Verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But you know what? God's never late. We're just early sometimes, right? God's never late. You're early. You want microwave miracles, but God is never late. Okay? The Bible says God is not slow in keeping his promises, right? As some people count slowness. That's what it says. So here's the problem. Martha is, Martha is interpreting the love of, of Christ through her circumstances. And that's a mistake. Okay? She should have been interpreting, uh, interpreting her circumstances through the love of Christ. You get the difference? That's our mistake. We often look at our circumstances and say, this must mean that God doesn't love me. You need to see your life, your circumstances through the love of Christ, not your circum not see Jesus through your circumstances. Don't get lost in this story this morning thinking, aren't we here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Yes, this story is all about Jesus, not Lazarus. I've already talked about that. And he shows his power here over all things, even death. His power over your life and mine. Jesus defeats death himself because he always had the power over life and death. The story still celebrates Jesus, leaves us knowing our need for him. Watch this. Go to verse 23, John 11, 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I love how Martha looks at him and goes, I know that. Right? You ever had your kids look at you and go, like they know better than you? Yeah, I know. You don't have a clue. You're not getting anything I'm saying. Right? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, and this is cool because he's not talking about the future. He's saying, right now, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He just included you in the story of Lazarus right there. Do you get that? You were in his mind when this happened. He's going, and all these people that's going to come down the road, I know all of them, Jesse, Jonathan, right? I, I know all these people that are coming. And whoever believes in me will never die. And he asked this question, do you believe this? So that's our question this morning. Do you believe this? That's an amazing statement. That's the one that either he's, it's, he's crazy or it's true. There are people all over the world today celebrating that that's true. How is that possible? 
because it was some hoax, because he pulled off a really cool David Blaine thing on the cross, right? No, no, it really happened. But the tension in the story isn't over. We go down a few verses to verse 33, we, we read this. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Are you glad Jesus is crying? You're mean, right? No. I, that, I'm glad to see that in the Scriptures. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. So Jesus cares deeply about your pain and sorrow. That's why I love seeing that in there. About your addictions, about your life. He feels it too. Jesus wept. Why would Jesus weep? Okay, Jesus knows in about five or ten minutes, however long it's going to be, He knows already, I'm going to raise this guy from the dead. So why would Jesus weep? Why would He be deeply moved? You think Jesus would be the guy there at the tomb going, here, have a Kleenex, have a Kleenex. Suck it up, okay, I'm going to raise this guy from the dead. Just get over it, okay? Why are you all crying, right? Watch what I'm going to do. It'd be okay. Like, wait, 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 wait. Check this out. <laughs> See? Stop crying. Okay? You'd think Jesus would like be that guy, but no, he stops and takes time to cry and to weep. And what that means is, is that God enters into our sorrow with us. He doesn't just put us through it like some of us think and go, there, go through that. Then you'll see. That'll teach you. Right? He's the kind of God that says, I'm with you. I understand you're, you're brokenhearted. I care. When you're down in deep distress, He cares. In Isaiah 63, it says, In all their distress, God too was distressed. God care, does care deeply. Another thing worth noting here in this story, Jesus actually got angry at one point. Okay? It says he was deeply moved and was troubled. And that whole deeply moved part right there, the wording denotes that he was upset or mad or angry at that point. Why? What's Jesus mad at? Well, if you understand the story, who he is and what's going on, Jesus was angry at sin and this cursed world that causes death. Okay? He was angry that sin causes death. He knows what sin does to people and it upsets Him so much that He would go to the cross, die for us, and, and go through all that and be resurrected from the dead. Right? He knows what does to people. Jesus knew that you were meant to live. That's the way things were originally created to be. Right? That's God's original intention is that we would go on forever living and not die. But the wages of sin is death, physically, spiritually, all the, the above. Okay, And it was sin into the world that caused death. All of us know intrinsically inside of us, we, we've got this thing inside of us that says death, there's just something not right about death. Like this should not be happening. 
Right? When we lose somebody, when somebody that we love dies, we immediately go, no, this can't be true. Why is this happening? This is not right. This is wrong. We feel that. Right? I, even as a pastor and understanding what I do, I feel that. When somebody dies, I'm like, this, this isn't right that this should be happening. This couldn't have happened. The reason we do that is because we instinctively know and feel and believe like Jesus did that death is out of order. That's just not the way things should be. That was not God's intention. But the wages of sin is death and we can't fix it, but Jesus can. That's why He came. He's a life giver. So, so this story that begins with tragedy and unfolds into a story that ends in triumph. Back in verse 38, Jesus again groaning in Himself some versions say, came to the tomb. This is so awesome. This is so awesome, okay? Verse 39. Let's go there. Verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, chill out for a second, right? She's like, there's going to be a stench because he's been dead for four days. Okay? Isn't that so us? Right? Jesus said, once again he looks at her and goes, were you not listening? Did you not hear what I said? Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Who cares about some stink if you're going to see the glory of God, right? That's what he's saying. He's like, you're totally missing it. Like you're missing, you're not, like, in order to see the glory of God, you've got to have some Febreze? Like, is that what's going on? Right? Is that what he's thinking? Like, time out, Jesus. I don't want to see all that glory stuff till we, like, fumigate this place. No. It's great. He says, did I not tell you what you're listening? And that's the very problem. Right there's the very problem. Jesus says, the problem is not the stench. It's not our circumstances. It's not what's going on around us. It's a belief problem. Right? It's a relationship deal with Jesus, Okay? That's the same problem you and I have. It is exactly the same problem you and I have. Not an addiction problem. Not a relationship problem. Not a work problem. Not a money problem. Not really a health problem. Sin problem. Death problem. It's a, it's a belief issue. Okay? Everything going on in your life has something to do with your relationship with God. Whether you know it or not or see it or not. It's all trying to work to get you there and you're either fighting against it, you're believing, not believing. It's flesh and it's all trying to, Satan's trying to blind the minds of the unbelieving. There's all these forces at work between yourself and spiritual forces that are trying to get you not to believe. That's the issue. Because it's not about this life, it's about eternal life. If we believed right... We would make choices right. We would act right. There's things we would do right. doesn't mean all problems would disappear because this is a cursed world. But we would be satisfied inside in the midst of those circumstances. In the midst of those problems. A lot of our problems wouldn't exist if we like, actually believed right and acted right. right? Because then we wouldn't do some of the things that cause certain circumstances and consequences. But there's still some things this cursed world is going to give us that we can't do anything about. The overwhelming sorrow times wouldn't take us under if we believed right. 
but rather the overcoming Savior would raise us back to life and overcome the world in us. It's a belief issue. So it goes on in verse 41. It says, So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it. So that they may believe that you sent me. This is why. This is why. It's said over and over again through this. It's a belief problem. It's because of what you believe. I wanted them to believe. Okay? This story ends with, there were a bunch of people there who believed. Okay? When he had said these things, I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing, and I said it, so they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot, with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to the people, unbind him and let him go. I don't have time to get into that part of what it means to be a part of a church and some believers that when you're dealing with sin and the things of the world and all that stuff, how they come around you, and even though the power's from Jesus and you believe in Jesus, there's the family of God that comes around you and helps to unbind some of that thing, some of those things of well, how God uses people in your life to help you through that as well. Don't have time for that, but there that is, okay? But notice Jesus' approach. He walks right up to the grave. He says, roll away the stone. Loud voice calls the, the, to the dead guy. I don't know if you've ever yelled to a dead guy before, but it wouldn't do any good, okay? That is, it won't do you any good because you're not Jesus. Jesus walks up the tomb. He didn't have to walk up to the tomb, like he could have done that from where he was four days ago, right? Jesus could have stood half a mile away and whispered, said, okay, Lazarus, come out. And it would have happened, right? Why does he do this? Why does he walk up to the grave and command in a loud voice? Um, it, I mean, it's, it's the dramatic part of the movie, right? It's, it's, it's By walking up to the grave of Lazarus and commanding him to come forth, that was a preview of what was about to happen in the life of Jesus, what, in two or three weeks, right? In his own life, he would himself be raised from the dead. And this was a preview of another coming attraction when he walks up to the grave. It's wonderful. And one the, I, I'm praying for you one of these days, it's your grave, it's my grave, and he says, come forth death to life for those who believe. I know that's going to be that way for me, Right? Hope it is for you. You know, one day if you believe if you believe this and you have placed your faith in Christ, one day you get that total make extreme makeover. Okay, you're getting one of those one day. I hope you appreciate that. If you're young, you're like, I don't need one. Check me out, right? Yeah, just wait. I, I, I love this. It's good news. Talk about good news on Easter. I'm gonna get an extreme makeover, right? When I looked in the mirror this morning, briefly because I don't stare a long time. It's like, I'm glad one day the makeover's coming, right? It's good news. You're going to get a resurrected body. You're going to get an upgrade. Uh, and so just consider, as we get start to land this plane, and I know some of you are thankful for that, is, is just is the claim Jesus made, okay? In the midst of this story is this strange, powerful claim that Jesus made, that we that is the hinge of all we believe and understanding what this means for us through our circumstances. If 
if he, that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? It's, it's an unconditional statement. No time boundary. It's to us today. Whoever believes. Does that include you? Okay? Now, when Jesus made this statement, I'm convinced that Martha misunderstood his meaning because she says, yeah, I know he's going to rise from the, again on the last day in the resurrection. She was thinking of, of the bodily resurrection at the end of time, which is true. And that's the hope for all believers. But Jesus is saying more than that. Jesus is saying, look, the resurrection isn't just an event that's going to happen. It's a person. And he says, and I'm that person. And whenever I show up, things change. Before there can ever be a resurrection on the outside there must be first a resurrection on the inside. Real life happens when you come face to face with Jesus Christ and then you will never die. And Jesus asked a question that I asked you this morning. Do you believe this? Do you really believe you can go from death to life? Now's the time to ask yourself, everyone here, do you really believe this? And I love verse 45 and 46. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. This is so cool. Okay? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. You know, this, this is the tipping point for the, for the crucifixion of Jesus. Seeing him raise somebody from the dead, they went, we got to stop this guy. Okay, that healing the blind stuff, saying he can forgive sin, we can kind of make up some stuff that people won't believe that, that they just saw him raise somebody from the dead. We've got to stop him. And it was the tipping point for Jesus being crucified. But what was awesome is it says some of the people there believed. Okay? Many came to believe in Jesus. You see, the glory that God got from that, that there would be more people believing so there are more people knowing God, being in heaven forever, eternally, Jesus had a bigger purpose in mind than just Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He had a bigger purpose. He used them for His glory, and there's no better thing that can happen with your life than that. And sometimes we go through those things, and God's like, you just stick with me, just believe, because what's coming on the end of this is you're going to see my glory in an even greater way. Not only are you going to see this resurrection, you're going to see a lot of other people get it. And you're going to play a part of it. Back to what that scientist G.B. Hardy said. He said, I have two questions. Has anyone ever defeated death? And if so, did they make a way for me to defeat death? Yes and yes. 400 years ago, 400 years before Jesus Christ, the great philosopher Socrates, this is 400 years before Jesus, okay? Socrates, you get get that? Are you with me? Socrates, right. you got to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure um, to understand my language, okay? Right? Help me out, Brady. Okay? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Anyway, Socrates, I'm going to call him that, Socrates. Um, 
He said he drank poison, hemlock. And he laid down to die, and his friends gathered around him and said, Shall we live again? You know what the great philosopher said to them? The best he comes could come up with was I don't know. I hope so. Isn't that crazy? Jesus would say, you can know, you can know for certain, because Jesus would say, I know for certain. And if you trust in the one who made this amazing claim, you can know yourself. Some of you, like this story, you're experiencing tragedy, you've lost someone, somebody that you love has died, or you lost your job, or you've lost something or someone, maybe your own health, you're diminished this year from what you were a year ago. Your life is a struggle. For others of you, there's just, there's just tension in your life, right? God wants you to know that your tragedy or your tension can be transformed into triumph and glory, His glory. You say, how? You've you got to be like these gals in the story. You need to make the right move. You go to Jesus. You go to the right person. Jesus, the God-man. Don't be content. Listen, because this is where we go. You go into that mode of get all you can, sit on the can as long as you can, right? You go into that mode of it's just, this life's it, so I'm going to get all I can out of it. Don't be content with living now and having a few good times, a few friends, a few parties, a few laughs. Go for eternal joy, eternal life. So I just ask you, as, as those guys come back up, we're going to sing some more. I'm like... I'm wanting me to shut up because I can't wait to get to the next two songs okay, that we're going to close with. Okay? It, as they come back up, it's, it's just, is God calling you today to believe in Jesus? You don't let this be a distraction. I want us to just have this smooth transition. Um, understand this, okay? Is God calling you today to believe in Jesus? If so, you can feel that pull and that tug and you're like, man, I've just never fully sold myself out to this. I've never just placed all my trust in Jesus. I've never really believed in this. My life absolutely does not show that I believe this. I would have changed by now. Man, something's wrong. I've always argued against it. Whatever it may be that's going on, but you feel God just like pulling you. And I'm not going to drag this out or anything, but it's like, do, do you believe this? If so, you turn to Jesus right now. It's, it's, it's just, man, I've been living my life my way, Lord of my life, doing my thing, really trapped in my sin, I guess, but I didn't realize that till now. And, and today I see Jesus, and I believe it. I believe he has the power over that. So I'm turning from myself and my sin. It's that big word repentance that we have in church, right? Which simply means I'm just turning from all that, and I'm turning to Jesus, and I'm giving my life to him because he died for me. And now he's Lord of my life. I'm going to follow him. And he's who I'm doing this for now. Because I know he has the power over death, hell, the grave, over life. I know that I can go from death to life and I can be a new person because of him. Is God calling you out to believe today? If so, turn to him right now. You can walk out of the grave like Lazarus. Even better, you can walk out of the grave like Jesus. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Christ. That's the, one of the most amazing statements in the Bible. I, it just it, it, it just blows my mind, okay? 
that we can we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, Jesus shares with us all that he has and is. He gives us what he has, which is real life, forever life, eternal life, eternal joy-filled life. And it starts right now. Like we get to have that inside of us resurrected before we're ever physically dead and physically resurrected. Right? So let's pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. I just ask you, if that's you and you just feel God just pulling on you saying, turn to me today. This has got to change for you. Don't be satisfied with just what this world offers because it doesn't buy you anything but temporary peace, temporary satisfaction, and then you're worse off afterwards. You, you just turn to Him right now. Have that conversation with Him. God, best I know how, I'm giving myself to you. You died on the cross in my place for my sin so that I can be forgiven of that sin and have a relationship with you better than that. You defeated death so that I could live forever, so I could have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, changing me from the inside out. And I know one day I'll be with you forever because of that resurrection. You just, in your own words, just have that conversation with Him. Just surrender to Him. You died for me, so I'm going to live for you. Be Lord of my life. Giving my life to you. I thank you, Lord, for defeating death and giving us Jesus, the resurrection and the life. I thank you that because he walked out of the grave, we can do that too. I thank you that it's the story of Lazarus just showing us this whole book of how much you love us. How you just want us to believe and understand that. I'm just going to ask, if that, if that was you this morning, you're like, yeah, I see it, and I, be, I believe this morning. For the first time, I'm turning to Jesus this morning. I've given my life to Him right now, right here this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something with everybody else, just heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just lift up your hand for me and just say, right here, right now, it has changed for me. This is different for me. Amen. Thank you. I'm giving my life to Christ this morning. It's, me, it's for me. Thank you. I believe and I, and I know that I'm His starting right now, right here. I just prayed and I gave my life to Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that, for defeating death, giving new life, for those who believe this morning. For those of us who already believe, we should be celebrating right now. So that's what we're going to do. So Father, help us to worship you in spirit and truth, to, to just pour our hearts out to you right now and just thank you and praise you and love you. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you all stand and sing with us and let's celebrate that. Let's, let's just thank Jesus and sing to him for what he's done for us.